goodness, it really was um, an extraordinary moment. And it takes quite... It took me a long time to really fully fathom the significance of what happened that night or that morning of the May full moon uh, all those centuries ago, 26 centuries ago this happened um, when the Buddha finally freed himself from suffering and actually became the Buddha. Now had the Buddha just freed himself in that moment it would not necessarily, well it wouldn't have been such a an extraordinary moment because he would have lived out his life of freedom and it would have come to an end and nobody would really have necessarily known about it. But what marked it as extraordinary is that he then went on to explain the path by which he'd freed himself to suffering to others. But he almost didn't. It was extraordinary. As he emerged in the bliss of his liberation, as he sat there uh, that morning, he was reflecting what to do. He, was, he made a reflection. Whew, he said, you know, this Dhamma that I have realized tonight, it is deep and profound. If I was to try to explain this to others, it would be both vexing to me and vexing to them. And he didn't initially see a way by which he could explain what it was and point out what he'd seen to others. And he was very close to uh, heading off to the Himalayas to live a quiet life as an ascetic. Now, you might ask yourself, well, why? Wasn't he the Buddha? Wasn't it his role and function to teach the Dharma to others? Well, it was, but I think perhaps what we fail to understand is having freed himself from suffering, his mind is no longer driven by desire. Now we think, oh, to be not driven by desire, would that mean that our life was just flat and pointless? But this is where we fail to understand the function and the way that enlightenment functions upon us. The Buddha had no need or desire for anything. He was completely content and at peace within himself. But in his liberation, one of the functions of seeing the causal cessation of suffering and cutting off suffering at the root is all mental tendencies that can cause vexation or agitation or suffering in us are likewise cut off at the root. So all laziness, or what we call sloth, or torpor or unwillingness to do were also cut off in that moment. So his mind was without desire, completely willing to do what was appropriate or for the benefit of others and completely unwilling to do was to, was to the detriment of others. So he had no desire or need to teach and he was going to head off to live a quiet life. But there was one Brahma being. A Brahma is a very high deva, a very refined consciousness, who was witness to that night and the Buddha's attainment. Now, if you've listened or you've been joining into our loving-kindness meditations, you've heard me talk about the light of the heart. Now, our heart, the light in our heart, shines brightly dependent upon the quality of our mind. 
And the more refined, the more purified, and the more wholesome the quality of our mind, the more brightly that light in our heart shines, which is why I've said to you many times, when we practice loving kindness, our heart shines brightly. Well, the Buddha's mind on the night, in that moment that he attained uh, enlightenment, shone so brightly that this uh, Brahma being had not witnessed a light in the heart of a human being on this planet in all the time that he'd been witness to it. And so he knew by the light that was that shone or that arose in the Buddha's heart in that moment that something extraordinary had happened. And so he went and presented himself before the Buddha um, to inquire what has happened. And the Buddha told him that he had that night freed himself from suffering and that there would be no renewed existence in any round of suffering for the Buddha thereafter. At which point this Brahma paid homage to the Buddha and begged him to teach. To which the Buddha said, as I just said, oh, this Dhamma, it's deep and profound. If I was to try to explain it to others, it would be most vexing to them and to me. And the Brahma implored him, he said, please, you must teach. There will be those with little dust in their eyes. Find them, try, try to show them what you have come to know for yourself. And because now he was the Buddha, if asked, he was not able to say no. Although there was no need to teach, there was also no unwillingness. And so, having been asked to teach by this Brahma, he agreed. And he went forth and he started his dispensation. He lived for 45 years. He was 35 when he became the Buddha and he died at the age of 80. And those 45 years he spent teaching the Dhamma to others. And yeah, he thought to himself, who shall I teach? And he remembered his teachers and he went in search of them, but they had both died in the interim while he was doing his austerities in the forest. So he then remembered the five ascetics who'd been with them, and he went in search of them, and he found them, and he taught them the Dhamma. Having decided that he would try to share this Dhamma with others, he went to try to find his teachers, both of whom had died. So he then went in search of the five ascetics that he'd been with during his period in the forest. And he did eventually find them. And when he first approached them, they remembered, oh, this, this is, here comes Siddhartha, He's the one that went soft and they basically tried to ignore him. But as he drew closer, they were yogis, so they themselves were able to see the radiance or light within another and they could see that clearly something extraordinary had happened to Siddhartha Gautama. And so they did, they actually approached him and they said, tell us, please tell us 
What is it that has happened to you? Please share it with us. Whatever you've come to know, please share it. And so that was one month later. That was on a, again on a full moon, one month after his enlightenment, after this day, this full moon day of May, that he sat down with those five ascetics and he gave his first teaching. It was a discourse that to this day is known as the Dharma Chakapawatana Sutta, which basically means the turning of the wheel of Dhamma. And now, in many ways, that was a more significant event in the world cycle, we could say, than the Buddha's appearance as the Buddha. Because, as I said just now, if he had just become the Buddha and lived his life in isolation and blissful seclusion, we wouldn't have the Dhamma today. That path that led to his liberation and freedom from suffering has been walked by countless beings over the centuries and is still testified to by those who've walked the path and pointed out in a way that leads others to the cessation of suffering. And that started that night when he sat with those five ascetics and gave this first discourse in which he explained the process by which he had come to see dependent origination, seen the impermanence and the causal process for the appearance of things and the cause for their passing away, and brought his mind to not just the theoretical understanding, but the direct meditative experience of the unconditioned state that cut off at the root all remaining tendency to suffering with him. So one of those ascetics attained to a, the first stage, what we call the first stage of awakening, that very night. And with guidance and practice over the coming days, the following days, all five of those um, yogis realized the causal cessation of suffering as the Buddha had. And they became the beginning of his Sangha. Now, that same Brahma being that had been witness on the night that the Buddha became the Buddha was witnessed that night when he gave the first discourse. And he appeared again and put respect to the Buddha and said, what has happened here this night with the giving of these teachings, with the understanding of these teachings that has arisen in these folk with their realization of the truth that you yourself have come to see, you have set in motion this very night the wheel of Dharma. You have broken asunder the wheel of Sansara. What before we were all bound to, you have shown a way to be free of. And that was the beginning of the Buddha's dispensation. And he went forth from that moment for the rest of his 45 years until he was 80 years old teaching Dhamma around North India and built up around him a growing group of other yogis, householders and ascetics and nuns and renunciates, kings and princes and warrior lords and merchants. There was no end of people who found 
refuge and liberation in the Dhamma. And that is the extraordinary thing about what the Buddha, Buddha teaches us. He didn't give us any doctrine that he asked us to subscribe to. He even went as far as to say, I do not ask you to believe what I say. Do not believe me because I am now called the Buddha. Do not believe me because I am respected by others. Do not take as gospel the world, word of any sage or saint just because they are revered by many. Do not take as gospel the word of any book just because for generations it has been honored and respected by others. Look deep within yourself for the truth, for it lies within you. And only what you can come to see and know for yourself to be true should you subscribe to as the truth. And that's what Dhamma, the word Dhamma basically means truth. That which we can see and know by direct perception with our own means, not through intellectual reflection and thought processes, a process of direct knowing. That is the Dhamma. And all the Buddha effectively gave us was a pathway, a roadmap, a way to learn to look. He teaches us how to meditate in such a way that we can pay attention, or what he calls wise attention, so that we can see for ourselves what is true. And of course, if something is true, then every single person who sees it will see it the same, which is also another extraordinary thing about what the Buddha teaches us. The experience of the cessation of suffering that or the knowing of the unconditioned state, brings about a quantum choiceless change in each and every one of us. It isn't personal. It works exactly the same way on every single one who comes to know it. And as he said, that which I came here to know, I have known. What I came here to do, I have done. And that is the knowledge that arises in every single one of us in the moment that we know that we know. And it is that knowing that brings upon us that peace that ends this endless search for what we feel we don't have. The feeling we do not have access to that peace, that happiness, that liberation that we long for is the root of our suffering and the coming to know it is the end of it. And that's the Dhamma. The Dhamma is life. Life is the Dhamma. As the Buddha said, look within you. The truth lies within each and every single one of us, waiting for us to discover it for ourselves. Now, I think that is the most extraordinary and life-affirming thing of all. Because it tells us that life itself is not fundamentally flawed. Suffering in, 
isn't innate in life. It's the result of our not knowing what it is. The Buddha didn't tell us that it was greed and competitiveness and anger and aversion and hatred that was the cause of suffering. He told us it was ignorance, simply not knowing the truth. Well, I pray that all of you will come to know the truth for yourselves, not through hearsay or book knowledge or reflection or contemplation, that you will come to see for yourself what this life truly is. So that's a little of something of the Buddha's life or the early parts of his life. And of course, you know, that's just the beginning, that first discourse that he gave, the turning of the wheel of the Dhamma was just the beginning. And that's, you know, the extraordinary, another extraordinary thing. We have such a complete testimony of his teachings and life. He spent those 45 years teaching so many beings. People traveled from all over India. When they heard that the Buddha was teaching this Dharma, they came from all walks of life. As I said, great merchants and kings and warrior clans and warriors and brought their armies. And some of them renounced and become, became nuns and monks, and some of them practiced as householders. But there wasn't anyone that the Dharma couldn't speak to, even to the point where at one point he taught a bandit who had killed 99 people who had blood on his hands and who even tried to kill the Buddha himself. The Buddha taught the path, he taught his Dhamma, and that bandit laid down his arms and took refuge in the Dharma and himself became an Arahant. Truly extraordinary is this Dharma. There is no one that it cannot speak to once we open our hearts to it. But the point is, we do have to be willing. And I think one of the reasons today that so few of us um, actually uh, walk that path out of suffering when it has been there for anyone who wanted it is the, is the fact that for some strange reason there's a part of us that, I don't know, doesn't want to know the truth. We would prefer not to know. And I don't know whether that's because we use the not knowing to allow ourselves to consider or to continue to uphold the behavior that otherwise we would probably change. I, I just don't know. But for some reason, one way, one way or another, so many of us choose not to look the truth in the eye. You know, I've been teaching retreats now for over 20 years and the number of times I've heard it said, you know, Bergs, I was thinking about coming on retreat for five years, 10 years, or somebody told me about these retreats 
10 years ago and I didn't come, I didn't come, I didn't come. I kept telling myself, no, I'm not going to come. And then they come and they hear and they hear what the Dhamma really is. And their preconceptions about it are swept aside and they realize that a pr pragmatic, practical, living path that each and every single one of us can walk has always been there for us if we're willing to have a look and to pay attention so there we are thank you for listening i i i shall tell you more on my next show about the life and times of the buddha but that's just a brief account of how he went forth from his privileged life as a prince um went on his journey it took him from the age of 29 to 35. He was 35 years old when he became the Buddha. Now, if any of you are asking or making the reflection, how could he possibly leave behind his young wife and son? Isn't that an act of selfishness? Well, just to put your minds at rest, he did return to his wife and son, and his wife became an Arahant too. And served by his side his entire life and became a great teacher in her own right. And his son also attained to the Dhamma. So he went forth to do what had to be done and brought back what it was that he'd found to those that he needed to share it with. Truly extraordinary, truly extraordinary being. Uh, as the, that Brahma said, there is only one Buddha because once the way has been seen and shown, that way that wasn't known is known. And that path that had not been walked is there to be walked by every single one of us. How wonderful. That was really the early days. He was only 35 when he became the Buddha. And imagine when you could have strolled off to the foothills of the Himalayas and lived a life of ease and bliss and peace and relief. That he turned back to those who were still suffering until his last breath. He taught Dharma. Even on his deathbed, with his final words, he uttered the Dharma to those who were around him. He was an extraordinary being. And that wheel of Dharma, that as that Brahma being said, was set in motion that night, on that full moon night, could not and has not been rolled back by all the hosts of beings and devas and men, it has kept rolling to this day. And the path that leads to the cessation of suffering is there for us, should we wish to walk it. So, what are you going to do with your time? How about you walk the path out of suffering? Then you'll know when you breathe your last breath, that what you came here to do, you've done. Do good things, 
avoid harming others and purify your mind. That is the teaching of all the Buddhas. It starts with that. And if you think it seems like an inordinate mountain that you couldn't possibly climb, remember, every journey to the mountaintop starts in the foothills. You only need to keep taking the step that is in front of you. And if you don't waver, and you don't give in, and you don't turn back, you will, without fail, reach that mountaintop and for yourself experience the cessation of suffering.